I'm not sure exactly where you're sitting right now, but I hope you have access to crash helmets and safety belts to borrow an image of worship from Annie Dillard. I am all kinds of pumped up about this sermon. Doesn't mean it's gonna be a good one, but it does mean I'm off the charts with excitement. The story you're about to hear, the true story, the gospel story from John chapter 18 is so powerful it needs no introduction. Just listen. After Jesus had spoken these words, he and his disciples went across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus and his disciples had often met there. Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was to happen, came forward and said, whom are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. Now Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when he said, I am, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Jesus said again, whom are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you, I am. So if I'm the one you're looking for, let these men go. He said this to fulfill his words. I did not lose a single one of those you gave me. Peter was there drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Jesus said to him, put your sword in its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? So the soldiers with their officer and the police bound Jesus and arrested him. First, they took him to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest of that year. Caiaphas is the one who said to the Jews, it is better for one person to die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. The other disciple was known to the high priest, so followed Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest while Peter stayed outside. The disciple who was known to the high priest went out and talked to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. She said to Peter, are you not also one of this man's disciples? And Peter said, I am not. The slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire to warm themselves because it was cold. Peter stood with them, warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and the temple where the Jews come together. I've kept nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said. They'll tell you what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, is this how you answer the high priest? And Jesus said, if I've spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I've spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Annas sent Jesus bound to Caiaphas. Simon Peter was standing, warming himself, and they asked, are you not 
also one of this man's disciples? And Peter said, I am not. One of the slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 18 through verse 27. If you wanted to find it in a Bible near you or the smartphone on you, what a scene. What an intense scene. The garden, Jesus, Judas, Peter, who though he's the one who cut off the slave's ear, they arrest Jesus instead of Peter, not the last injustice of that night. The smell of the charcoal fire, the distinct smell of a charcoal fire in the air. Annas and Caiaphas, the betrayal, the denial, Jesus at the center of it all. There's an echo I want you to hear, a refrain I want you to listen to, and then a rooster promise this community of all communities ought to love. The echo is the garden itself. The scene launches like this. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Let me get this straight. The single most significant sequence of events is about to unfold in the world for human history the cross just ahead, the grave right around the corner, the resurrection which would turn the world upside down and on its head. And John seems to find the time and the need to suggest there is a garden, that he went to the garden, how often he met at the garden. So many tedious details. Just get on with the good stuff, John. After he spoke these things, Jesus and his disciples went across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Here's a picture of the Kidron Valley. It's about a mile and a half walk from where Jesus and his disciples were in the upper room down into the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's the garden, probably not exactly the space that Jesus was, but it gives you a picture of what it was like, the olive trees on the Mount of Olives. He and his disciples went across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden one of the keys to interpreting Scripture well is the old Reformed commitment that Scripture interprets Scripture. There's an echo here I want, you, I want you to hear. Where else in the Scriptures do you recall a garden? There's probably a couple of different places, but I'm thinking of the first pages of the Bible, the Garden of Eden. God, his heart so full of love, creates the first man and brings her to the first woman and they're naked and they're not ashamed and God each evening walks with them through the garden. Reminds me of that great hymn, and he walks with me and he talks with me. But you know what happened in the garden. You remember what happened in that garden? Though the creation, the created orientation of humanity was open-handedness, the posture of reception, God just kept giving and giving and all they could was to receive. All of a sudden in that garden, they reached out and they took of the fruit. They took, they didn't enjoy these. It wasn't enough just to stroll in the evening with the living God. They wanted a more efficient, manageable way of life. So they took of its fruit and they ate. 
and the world was sent spiraling into chaos. Disruption poured out onto the world like a volcano, brokenness and sin and shame and disobedience and all of it, and we know it so well. It's all back, back from that garden moment. In, in that Genesis 3 garden, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, which kind of sounds a little bit maybe, if you're willing to be imaginative, he and his disciples went across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And in that, that first garden, the, the Eden garden, the fall garden, Jesus, the, the God announces to the man, where... Where are you? And in this garden, the, the, the redemption garden, the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus comes forward and says, whom are you looking for? And in that first garden, we, the first man and the first woman, they, they, they slink behind the trees, they hide from God. But in, the, in this garden, the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus comes forward. Jesus comes out of hiding. There's an echo in this original garden to this garden of Gethsemane. Jesus goes into the garden to reverse the curse of the first. Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Jesus rewrites the script of our lives, though we slink back into hiding, though we cover ourselves with shame and guilt and brokenness and pain and disruption of all kinds. Jesus comes forward. We slink back into hiding. Jesus comes forward for us and for our salvation. That's, that's what it says here in John 18. Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward. We slink back into hiding because of sin. Jesus comes forward for salvation. This is why Paul in Romans chapter 5 could say, just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Or in another place, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus Christ is the new Adam. Jesus Christ is the new humanity, doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. How about the way John Calvin puts it? This is gonna knock your socks off. This is from the Institute's. Godly soul, referring to the table, the sacrament, godly souls can gather great assurance and delight from this sacrament. In it, they have a witness of our growth into one body with Christ, such that whatever is his may be called ours. As a consequence, we may dare assure ourselves that eternal life, of which he is the heir, is ours, and that the kingdom of heaven, into which he's already entered, can no more be cut off from us than from him. Again, we cannot be condemned for our sins for whose guilt he has absolved us since he willed to take them upon himself as if they were his own. This is the wonderful exchange, which out of his measureless benevolence he has made with us, that becoming son of man with us, he's made us sons of God with him, that by his descent to earth he's prepared an ascent to heaven for us, that by taking on our mortality he's conferred his immortality upon us, that accepting our weakness, he strengthened us by his power. That receiving our poverty unto himself, he's transferred his wealth to us. That taking the weight of our iniquity upon himself, which oppressed us, he's clothed us with his righteousness, the wonderful exchange. He, became for, he did for us what we can't do for ourselves. What a wonderful exchange. The eternal God takes on the finite realities of humanity so that we might become like he is. What a wonderful exchange. 
We slink back into hiding. Jesus steps forward for salvation. It's a garden echo. It's the gospel, friends. The echo gives way to a refrain. Jesus intends it. John records it. Peter has no idea. The detachment of soldiers with the police, they, they come forward. And, and it's interesting, Jesus takes control of the situation. Jesus is the one who says, whom are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Jesus say? I am. He says it, John at least records it three times. I am, I am, I am. Borrowing from the book of Exodus when Moses saw the bush burning but not burning up and he was curious so he made his way over and the bush started talking to him and he gets afraid. The bush says, Moses, Moses, and he says, here I am. And God out of the bush says, you're gonna be my deliverance leader. You're gonna, you're gonna lead my people on a salvation journey. And Moses says, no, I'm not. And God says, yes, you are. And Moses says, well, who, 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 who will I tell them sent me? And God says, I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. And now Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane, they ask, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am, I am, I am. The eternal God invested in a single person, I am. The Holy One with all of the breadth and width and depth and height of eternity at his capacity, available now, I am. And then did you notice Peter's denial of Jesus. Jesus says three times, I am. And what does Peter say three times? I am not. On one level, of course, the denial of Jesus that participated in the arrest and trial and crucifixion. But on another level, and an additional level, an announcement, he is not God. He is not. Jesus is. Peter is not. It's not just that he's broken and denying. It's also he's limited. He's confined. I am not, which is actually a gift. I am not. You are not. Can I push a little bit? The world is not your oyster. You cannot go wherever you want to go. You do not get to do whatever you want to do. You cannot be whoever you want to be. I'm sorry, manifest destiny. I'd be telling you a different story, but the gospel says you are not. Embrace your limits. What a gift. One of the spiritual ills I think we have to contend with in our cultural moment is busyness. We just keep running. We just keep scrambling. We just keep working, trying to achieve some level of some dream we think will satisfy ourselves. All the while, the gospel is inviting us to embrace our limits. You are not. I'm not trying to minimize who you are. I'm just inviting you. You don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. You are not. It's not up to you to save the world. You are not. You will not change the world. You are not. I have a pastor friend in another place, young pastor. We stay in touch still a little bit. In God's infinite goodness and mercy, things are going quite well in ministry. 
The church is growing, growing in numbers, growing in mission. If I can put it like this, he's experiencing, they're experiencing as a church all kinds of success, and it's a wonderful, and it's a good thing. And a friend of his in the community where he is, who doesn't go to the church, but heard the buzz in the town about the church, took him out for coffee, sat him down, and the first thing my pastor friend reported his friend saying to him was, what's it like to be the Messiah? What's it like to be the Messiah? And it cut straight through to any veneer of naivete that he had in his heart about somehow he, it was up to him. He had to do it. It was like, a, like an ice-cold cup of water on, the, on his back on a hot summer day. It woke him up. He is not. Jesus is. Jesus is the I am. Jesus is God, and you are not. Embrace your limits. It's okay. In a world swirling with anxiety, we put our feet on the ground every day. This is Lent, isn't it? You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Embrace your limits. It's okay. You don't have to be God. A friend of mine sent me an article this week in The Atlantic. It was titled, An Ode to Middle Age, and I wondered why he would send that to me. Subtitled, Your Body Begins to Betray You. You have neither the vitality of youth nor the license of old age, but being over the hill has its pleasures. The article goes on. You're more free. The stuff that used to obsess you, those grinding circular thoughts, they've worn themselves out. You know yourself quite well by now. Life has introduced you to your shadow. You've met your dark double. And with a bit of luck, the two of you have made your accommodations. You know your friends, you love your friends, and you tell them. I'm generalizing from my own case, of course, because what else can I do? Besides a sense at last of having some things in common with the other humans, the other wobbling bipeds, this too is one of the gifts of middle age. Good experience, bad experience, doesn't matter. Experience is what you share, the raw weight of it, the lines around the eyes, the bruising of the soul, the banging up against your own boundaries, your own limits, limits, limits. Thank God for limits. Thank God for the things you cannot do and that you know you cannot do. Limits, limits. Thank God for limits. Jesus is. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who steps forward while we slink back into hiding. You are not. On one level, of course, it's Peter denying Jesus. Come on, Peter. But on an additional level, it's the gospel announcement. Lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down in order that it can be taken up again. The echo is the garden. The refrain is the sort of almost liturgical call and response between Jesus and Peter. And then one last thing before this table, this wonderful exchange. A rooster promise this community of all communities ought to love. Peter warming himself by the fire one asks, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter says, I am not. Then one of the slaves says, hey, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And then this line, again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed, the rooster the rooster started to sing. The rooster has been throughout Christian history become a sort of symbol of this moment. Maybe 
just Peter's denial, possibly also Jesus' reinstatement of Peter later on in John's gospel. We'll get to that in a few weeks. It's become a symbol for the Christian community of this moment. The, the rooster didn't crow because Peter denied Jesus. It wasn't cause and effect. It wasn't like the, the official in a boxing match after one gets knocked out, counts to 10 and declares KO. It's not a cause and effect relationship. The rooster didn't crow because Peter denied Jesus. Do you know why the rooster crowed? The rooster crowed because that's what roosters do. They announce the light is coming. They rise before the pre-dawn light and announce the light is on the way. Behold, arise, shine, your light is coming. At that moment, the rooster began to crow. Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. In the moment of brokenness, in the moment of pain, in the moment of hurt, sorrow, suffering, disruption, sin, that's when the rooster crows. Those who've walked in darkness have seen a great light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. The rooster begins to sing. Peter falls flat on his face and we stumble with him all the while. Jesus steps forward, the light shines and no darkness will ever overcome it. The rooster begins to sing. All creation begins to announce, come Lord Jesus. At that moment, I got a text from a friend on Wednesday. You shouldn't text me on Wednesdays from a book by Kevin Van Hooser. It's about pastors, but I'm gonna replace the word pastor with Christians because I think it's a better fit. No offense to the author. Christians exist to embody the good news mood. An indicative declaration, he is risen, he is Lord, and an associated way of being that is attuned to the world as already, not yet, made new in Jesus Christ. The Christian is part of an embassy on the part of the risen Christ and as such is an ambassador of the new world created order that has already begun to exist amidst the old disorder. The Christian communicates in word and deed, in person and work, the reality of the new resurrection order, the renewal of humankind. The Christian both proclaims and practices resurrection. N.T. Wright comments that the early Christians behaved as if they were in some important senses already living in God's new creation Indeed, the local church is an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly rule. At that moment, the rooster began to sing. At that moment, Christ stepped forward into salvation. At that moment. And what do you suppose this Dutch group of people building the building I'm in and you're virtually joining put on the top of their building when they built it in 1856, it survived the fire of 1871 and the split of 1882 and the reestablishment of 2012, at least so far. What do you think they put on the top of the building? A rooster, a rooster to remind us at that moment, at the moment of brokenness, in the moment of pain, in the moment of sadness and disruption and sin, at that moment, the rooster begins to sing a new song, a song of salvation, a song of redemption. The light shines in the darkness. So the anxiety is spinning your spirit and you just don't know what to do when the only thing you can think to do, you don't wanna do. Hold on, wait a minute. The rooster is atop the community shouting a new song. So depression is oppressing and pushing and beating you down. 
And it's like a black cloud and you can't imagine the light. Hold on, there's a rooster sitting on top of this community announcing the new song. The light shines. So your heart breaks with mine as you watch bombs explode and refugees line up for other countries and you want to yell or you want to cry or you just want to quit. Hold on. The rooster sits atop the building singing the new song. At that moment, the rooster began to sing. Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. Amen? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. And if you are able and if you are willing to participate at the table in this sort of virtual way, let me invite you to the wonderful exchange. He became what we are. He took on the limits of humanity so that we could become like he is. This is the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome at this table, if you're not at that place in life or faith, I'd love to get together, hear your story, share some questions together. Email me, john, J-O-N, at pillarchurch.com. Come as you're ready.